Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Desperately Seeking Entertainment. I am one of your hosts, Chris Peterson, Editor-in-Chief, Onstage Blog and OnStageBlog.com. Joined with me, as always, is Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's up? What's up? I am good. How are you doing, Chris? Doing well, man. Doing well. It's a good weekend. I'm ready to rock, ready to get back into it. A lot of stuff yeah, happened dude. over the week, so yeah. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready and super psyched. There's tons of stuff out there. You know, it's been a little slow in the theaters this summer, but you know what? We got streaming services up to our necks mm. in entertainment. We got new streaming services coming out. People better get ready for this jump because, you know, what? I, you know, there's people out there and, you know, they don't list, they don't watch things. And it's like you're speaking a different language, but we're just going to leave those people in the dust with all the media we're consuming. And so that's why you listen to this podcast to get in the know of the, the shit that's important to talk about. Right, Chris? Heck yeah. yes. So let's just dive in, man. Let's dive in. Let's let's bring our top five to the table. Ben, kick us off. What do you got this week? All right. So I want to talk about a great show I started to watch. I think it's up to three episodes. I think I watched the first two. It's called Wu-Tang, an American Saga. It's Ooh. on uh, Hulu. It's a dramatic series. It's about the various Wu-Tang clan members as kids. And it's definitely dramatized. It's written and it's written and produced by the RZA. And it goes through their lives in uh, Park Hills, AKA Killer Hills and Shaolin and all these places and all these kind of ghetto suburban cityscapes that you're just drawn into. And Chris, uh, have you checked the show out yet? I have not yet, but oh. I've heard I've heard good things. I've heard yeah, that it's really not, good things. Yeah, it's not over the top ridiculous, um, and uh, very. I've heard it's pretty authentic, and you know it's it's gotten good reviews. So yeah, definitely check it out. Because I mean, I, I'm I'm in a place where I just want to consume all things Wu Tang right now. I know. Well, and you know what? We've talked a lot on this podcast, and I've heard uh, I've read a lot of articles about the how music biopics have become this generic kind of monster. Mm-hmm. You remember, uh, we, we, I think I, I directed you and Josh to that one YouTube video where they parodied that Patrick H. Wilhelm on uh, YouTube, right? Yes. I think his name's Wilhelm. Yeah, yep. Wilhelm or something. Um, and how he parodied it, and it was great. And how he just pointed out how if you, you know, it's like <laughs> he makes the point, like none of these people that made these movies ever saw Dewey Cox. If they did, <laughs> they wouldn't have made the movies like this. Um <laughs> So the great thing about this Wu-Tang documentary is – or, sorry, dramatic series – is that it is so far avoiding all of those kind of um, overused tripes that we've seen in the music kind of, you know, oh, he's going to make it. He's going to overcome adversity. As far as I can tell, we're just thick in the shit of living in the ghetto of, you know, the 1980s, 1990s, like Queens and Staten Island. It's terrible. And um, it's just really gritty, but the acting's great in it. The characters are fantastic. Um, you know, they're using their real names, so you don't know which Wu Tang member you're following so far. I, like, I don't like. I know Wu. I, I know the Wu Tang, but I don't know their like 
first name basis without their nicknames. You know what I mean? So right. they're using their real names to start the show. And of course you, you can tell who old dirty bastard is and method man is. And I think I know who Ra- Raekwon is and Riza. Um, but the other characters, I'm still kind of shaky. It, it actually makes me want to go back and watch the documentary. Cause then I'd be like, Oh, that's you God. That's, you know, what's his face. Um, so Chris, they just took all of their lives. I mean, it's written by the Riza. So, they took all their lives and made it into a fantastic dramatic series. I guarantee by episode one, everyone will be hooked into this thing. Uh, it's a, it's a high recommendation. I'm only two episodes in, but I'm all in the acting's great in it. They got these great kids to play these parts. High, high marks, high marks, Chris. Nice. Nice. I can't wait to check it out. That's awesome. Um, all right, man. Well, my number one is kind of a follow up to last week in a way. I mean, we briefly talked about the show Succession on HBO and yeah. how I was kind of like in this like mode of I, I'm not really rooting for anybody. I don't really like on anybody on the show. And um, I watched last night's episode and I realized as I'm watching this episode that what is drawing me into this show is I actually I want to see every character on this show fail. Like hmm. that's that's the satisfaction is not to see them actually get anything or win any of these battles or anything like that. It's actually to see them fail. Um, and I, I sat there and I said to myself, I can't remember ever watching a show like that where I'm just actively rooting against the, you know, I guess you could call them the protagonists of the show um, and just wanting to see bad things happen to these people. Um so I wanted to ask you, Ben, have you ever, have you ever been in, like seen anything like that where you're just like, where you're just like actively rooting for failure, I guess. I don't know. It's, it was a weird sensation watching that show. Well, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I watched the first season. I watched a couple of this season. Um, yeah. There's really not a likable person on the show really. Um, mm. And there's little glimmers of people here and there, but even like, I think you mentioned him. There's that one cousin that's trying to angle for a job or a place in the family, but he's kind of an idiot. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> kind of dumb and they put it out there that how dumb he is. Right. And the rest of the family makes fun of him and he just kind of helpless and hopeless. Um, but you know, I, we are in the age of anti-hero. you know what I mean? Like the golden age of television featured, you know, Don Draper and Walter White, you know what I mean? The, the, mm-hmm. the pinnacle of anti-hero or McNulty, you know, on the wire. Um, but never has there been a show like that where you have a full cast of antiheroes. There's not one likable in the bunch. So I, maybe that's their intention. I don't know, to take the antihero and just turn it up to 11. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right, man. What else you got this week? So let's talk about something that's huge that happened. Um, Chris, NFL week one started. Oh, yeah. Ready for another typical Jet season. So I know that we've spoke a lot about how NFL has – a lot of parody, right? There's a lot of good teams in the NFL because of the salary cap and, you know, they have the um, the tax, the luxury tax and all that stuff, kind of like the NBA does. Yeah. And, you know, we always kind of hark on MLB because they don't have that. You know what I mean? We have Sox and Yanks spending a ton of money like every year and all these players just go there. So what is that? What is the difference between the Patriots and the rest of the league? It's almost like Tiger in the field or something like that. Well, you know, it's I'm I'm really glad for shows like Hard Knocks, and mm-hmm. um, you see these behind the scenes shows where you, you kind of get an inside look at the 
the coaching staff and, and practices and things like that. Um, a couple years ago, the Patriots decided to let cameras into their kind of rooms with this documentary called Do Your Job, which if you haven't, folks, if you haven't seen it, again, it's phenomenal. I'm sure every Patriot fan has seen it, but um, yep. it's kind of like their version of Hard Knocks for about, I think it was like a two-hour documentary. Um, yeah, right, right. They, it, it's such a fascinating watch because you see the different level of preparation and coaching ability that Belichick and his team of coaching staffs and, and research and statisticians. And I mean, they're just thinking about football, almost like a money ball ish type of way where they really are thinking at a higher level when it comes to the game of football and how to prepare for an opponent. I mean, one of the freakiest thing was, you know, that very famous play where, you know, um, Russell Wilson threw the interception. Right. Um, they showed in that documentary that they were practicing for that exact play like two days before the Super Bowl. So it was almost like they knew in that situation, Russell Wilson is going to try to throw a slant and we need to be prepared. So they showed how they were like these cornerbacks were shifting and things like that. It was incredible to watch. And you're just like, again, as a non-Patriots fan, you just, you're, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how this team is so good at preparing, but they are. And I want to say that you know, they don't need Tom Brady because, you know, Brady, I'll, I'll begrudgingly admit that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. But um, if, you, if people remember, like, when Brady was suspended, you know, and Jacoby Brissett, I mean, they went three and one when, during that. Yeah, Brissett and Garoppolo. Percent. Yeah, they um, look great. <laughs> and, you know, people forget that they, I think they went 11 and five the year that Brady was hurt um, and tore his ACL. Yep with Matt Castle in there. So again, it's not, you know, I, I don't want to say that they would have won six Super Bowls without Brady, but you know, they, they would have done pretty well with Belichick and these guys at the helm. So I, I think that, you know, when Belichick decides to move on, um, you know, if, if I'm Robert Kraft or whoever's running the day-to-day -day team uh, operations, you gotta, you gotta try to bring in a, a disciple, so to speak of the Belichick system, because it's like I said, it's at a different level. Yeah. I, it's the, the only, um, Concern I've heard that's legit is, you know, just speaking of the kind of Belichick Patriots madness is, um, you know, they're willing to do anything mm -hmm. and almost everyone on the team is willing to do everything. Like if they're facing a team that's really good on run defense, a running back might not get a ball for the first half. Oh, yeah. And, you know, last night they just kept running and then finally Brady started throwing. And so they definitely studied up on the team and then made them switch and then just went to the air. And it, it, teams just don't know what to do. So when they adjust, that was the whole team. That was the whole plan to have them adjust. So the only concern I heard is, and it might be legit, is, is Antonio Brown going to be willing to do that adjustment and not get pissed? Like, hey, Antonio, these guys have the best pass defense. We're just going to run the ball for the first half. Is he going to sit back and allow that? That's And I could see that being legit concern, like him getting pissed at that. Right. I think what's different is, again, I can't believe I'm trying to you know, put Patriots fans' minds at ease. but um, <laughs> Yeah, um, we'll be okay. Because <laughs> between last night and just seeing that and going, and we get Antonio Brown, yeah, I think we're okay. Yeah. Um, see, this is like your revenge for me painting you into the corner for like the whole – whitewashing and race thing with Robert. Oh yeah. You got me <laughs> yeah, saying nice yeah. things about the Patriots now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just eat it up, Chris. <laughs> I think, I think what a, a lot of people need to know is that like, like Tom Brady and Antonio Brown are actually legitimate friends. Um, I think, you know, and Antonio Brown has said it many times. He reveres 
Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick. So I think the fact that you have that attitude walking in, um, and I think Antonio Brown is in this point in his career where, you know, he's, he's already a Hall of Famer in my mind. But here's, here's a, a moment where you've got a guy who's never won a Super Bowl, um, whose legacy is still kind of up in the air in terms of, you know, is he one of the five greatest wide receivers to ever play this game and things like that. Um, here's his opportunity with the Patriots to cement that legacy. So I think, you know, he's looking at it from that end. I don't think he's, you know, again, weird to say, but I think if, if he's not the number one target, you know, in every single game, um, I don't think he's going to, you know, raise hell because again, look at the rest of that receiving core. He's got Julian Edelman, borderline hall of famer, Josh Gordon, who is, you know, back in, healthy and just he was ridiculous last night yes he um, was you know you got Dor- Dorsett you've got I mean you just got all these guys they're loaded they're loaded at the receiver position so I think he understands that you know he's he's simply a role player here he's not coming in to be the star as he was in Pittsburgh and Oakland so I think he'll be fine I hope he's not fine I hope he, I, I hope, think so I hope he implodes <laughs> the whole team and they're they're terrible and all those things so you know but <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to. I'm sorry, Chris. It's just uh, so. And again, it's just going to get worse. I, I was talking. I was talking to my friend, you know, Ken, the other night about this. I said, you, know, you watch a game like this, and you you say to yourself, who in the AFC is going to beat the Patriots in a playoff game? Like who? Like is it the, is it, you know the the team that you could say has the best chances? The Chiefs, but the Patriots owned them in the playoffs last year. So you just, well, I mean, owned is is a tough word because that was a crazy game. Crazy I mean, they could have won that any second, right? But man, it's just you just watch this team. You just watch the way they prepare, and you you just you know you just throw your hands up in the air and just say whatever. I can't I can't stand it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's tough for me up here because I'm surrounded by people that absolutely hate the Patriots. Or I go down to Lee, Massachusetts, and it's all like, "Go Tom, Tom now, Brady." Are you, I, I I need to get some clarification here. Are you in Buffalo Bills country up there now? In Central New York, we're kind of uh, Giants and Bills. Okay, Giants all and right. Bills. So everyone hates Tom Brady. <laughs> so yeah, so neither neither really friendly in a way. So no, not at all. It's oh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, but um, and it's just, and I feel, and I don't. It's not like Yankees or anything like that. I mean, mm-hmm. football to me is a different sport. Like I can watch any game. You know what I mean? If I'm at the right. bar or at a restaurant and I'll be like, hey, can you just put on any game? I don't care. Put on the red zone or you know, like yesterday I was doing the NFL Network where they're just flipping around. I, I'll watch anything. Um, so it's not like Yankee socks where I'll never like dorn a freaking pinstripe in my life. I'd rather mm-hmm. like, you know, end it all than <laughs> wear anything pinstripe. Um, you know, where football is kind of like, to me, it's entertaining, entertaining, no matter what team is playing. That's why I like doing fantasy football. So I, I definitely, uh, don't throw it in people's face up here because, yeah, I mean, there's nothing to really say to me. I mean, six Super Bowls and nine appearances or something crazy like that. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. It's pretty ridiculous. But you, right. hey, you, you're the Jets looked good yesterday, even though they lost. I mean, the defense looked great until you know CJ Mosley got hurt, and then I mean, the, my my problem was, I mean, the Bills the Bills defense is better than people like to say they right. are, but like, yeah, the offense just didn't wasn't working, and that's concerning. Um, especially when your head coach is this like praised offensive mind. So I was kind of looking for that yesterday. Like, where is this offensive guru I've been hearing about? So, 
Um, you know, I'm in this stage where with the Jets, because Sam Darnold is in his second year, he's the face of the franchise, he's the future, um, you, you can't play around with that. And if, if this Adam Gase thing isn't going to work out after this season and they go, you know, 6-10 and 10 or 5-11 and 11 or something like that and Darnold looks like he's taking a step back, I'm, I fully endorse making a coaching, coaching change immediately and bringing mm. in someone wow. you know, with, who can actually do this. Because, again, again, you look at quarterbacks like Alex Smith, who had, I think, like eight different offensive coordinators in his first, you know, nine seasons or something like that. Something, some preposterous number like that. And he just never really developed into, into the quarterback that a lot of people thought he would. So um, I think that definitely is a factor. So I just, I, I want, I want the best for Sam Darnold because it means the best for me as a Jets fan. So um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I know. Well, but you know what? They showed up. They weren't like the yeah, Dolphins yesterday. That's true. You know what I mean? Well, that's true. They're not trying to tank. I'll put it that way. They're not trying to tank like even before the season starts. I I, I actually heard a rumor that uh like three of uh three Dolphin players like on the DL like contacted their agents about switching teams like after yesterday's game. Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. I I yeah. would. I mean, yeah, you, I know. You think about you think about player safety nowadays. It's like, do you want? God forbid something happens to you. I mean, do you want to get hurt while you know you're playing for a team that's trying to lose? I mean, I, w- I wouldn't want to do that. So, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, tanking and tanking in baseball or basketball is way more safer than tanking in football. And <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't be tanking in football, folks. So. No, dude. Yeah, because yeah, if you're a quarterback or a linebacker, you're gonna get hit like you know chop block from the side and just get oh, yeah. killed. Like really, it's just crazy, Yeah, but it's a long season. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, but uh, yeah, who knows? Um, all right, man. Good stuff. Good, well, yeah. I, I shouldn't say good stuff. I, you got me talking about the Patriots for, yeah, great for stuff. Lot, but, uh, <laughs> on, I, I'm again, I'm sorry to frustrate you with this next bit, but this Ooh. is um, some hot news coming off the wire, so to speak. But I read right. on um, AV club that Paramount is apparently trying to remake Face Off. So they've actually hired... Yeah, <laughs> Did you just hired, make this up because I was maybe you talking about the Patriots? <laughs> I swear to God, it's on AV Club. They hired... This is a real story. A real thing. They've hired screenwriters God. to work on a script to no. remake Face Off. And believe me, there's um, a great art... The, the, the headline on AV Club was uh, Paramount wants to remake face off because apparently you can mess with perfection or something like that. Like it, <laughs> look, here's the thing. Face off is a incredibly preposterous movie, but it's perfect. It's a it's perfect, perfect in every way. Um, ben, your thoughts on the face off remake. That's terrible. That's a terror. This is a terrible idea. I'm out boycotting just, yeah, Chris, you know what? Like, Oh, you know what? I, this is great. Like I was like, I showed uh, Deco uh, the Goonies this weekend. You know what I mean? Ooh, and he's really? seen it when he was younger, but he didn't remember. So he actually sat through the whole thing, had a great time. And then, uh, you know, this might be questionable parenting, but I uh, I looked up the IMDb parental guide, which is clutch, showed him. He stayed up and watched uh, Hunt for Red October with me. Oh, okay. Some and deep, like some deep Jack Ryan. Like, yeah. You know, and I, I Google, I was like, I don't think there's anything in it. There's like nothing in it. Like, I think they say like, son of a bee or something. There's like, like literally nothing in this movie. Like, I, I think like one person dies in it and it just looks like he gets his, like his, he gets punched or something. It, it, there's nothing in the movie. And uh, he watched that one, but then it got me thinking, I'm like, I can't wait till our kids, right. 
are 10, 12, 15. At 15, I can't wait to watch like Pulp Fiction and, you know, like Reservoir Dogs and shit and like cool ass, like, you know, awesome movies. And like it got me so excited. And one of those movies on that list is goddamn Face Off. You know what I mean? So I cannot wait for Face Off, Con Air. Are you kidding? Con Air might have to happen like this year. I mean, Con Air is just great. Put, Put the bunny back in the box. Just freaking. There's just. All right. Listen, there's only one thing they can do. There's only one thing they can do to make Face Off okay. Okay. All right. Are you ready? And this is it. I won't accept anything less than this. If Nicolas Cage reprises Caster Troy. All right. Do you that's want it. do you want Travolta in it too or no? No, nah, that's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's still on my uh he's still on my shit list for that movie Gotti. That's it. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Um, he gets benched. He's on my bench now. <laughs> yeah, I just I can't I can't I, I don't understand it. I, I mean, I, unless Paramount is just desperate at this point, which I, I don't think they are. I mean, mm. now if, if you if you told me that they were going to turn Face Off into a Netflix series, okay, maybe you got me there. Like, all okay, right, yeah, maybe. All right, yeah. To explore there, and if and if you told me that like John Woo's behind it and like you know all that stuff, like okay, now you, you can you got me a little bit. But yes, you're right. Um, Kate, Nicholas Cage has to be involved in some way or another for me to be, even be. To even watch this thing, to be quite honest with you, yeah, um, yeah. So, but I, part I of the charm, it. part of the charm of Face Off are the bad effects and stuff, and how ridiculous right. it is. If you made it look too good with CGI and like made it almost believable, it would lose its charm. You'll forget the movie next year, and that's what happens with these freaking remakes. Like, hey, Chris, you remember the remake of Total Recall with Colin Farrell? Of course you don't. Of course you <laughs> because, don't. Yeah, because it's terrible. Like, all these movies that just get remade, and then it's like, oh, yeah, that made $30 million, and it's like, cost $20 million. Like, it's just like a $10 million cash grab or something. It's, it's silly because they're just – they just get people to act in front of a green screen. They call it Point Blank, and then they just remake it. You remember that remake, Point Blank? Terrible. Don't even – I mean, don't even Point remember. Break. Sorry, Point, point Break. break. Yeah, um, that was terrible. It was yeah. awful. <laughs> Again, they're, they're, we're getting these remakes that no no one is clamoring for a remake of Point Break. No one was clamoring for a remake of RoboCop. No one was clamoring no. for this. So stop it, Hollywood. Stop. <laughs> no one no one wants this. You would actually do better if you said to me, oh, by the way, we're going to do a 20th anniversary face-off. Uh, we're going to remaster the whole thing, like it, like just put in some deleted scenes re-release it in theaters on their day one. Oh, their day one. Or even like we added scenes and we yeah. CGI'd, we reversed uh, CGI'd uh, Travolta and Nicolas Cage and they they acted in a couple deleted scenes to make the movie even more. I'm in, take my $40. I'll pay $40 to go sit in that thing. Yep. It's going to be in 3D or some shit. I'm in. I'm all in. Oh my 3D God. 3D face off. off. 3D. <laughs> Remember that one scene, that ridiculous scene where they're shooting through a wall at each other, where obviously they both be killed in five seconds. I love that mm-hmm. scene. All the bullets are flying and they're so shitty looking. Imagine that in 3D, just flying at your face. Amazing. Yeah. I'd be down for that in a heartbeat. So. I know. Well, and that's the new trend. Like, wasn't I just talking a couple of weeks ago? Like, I went to go see like a Hitchcock movie at the Rome Cinema and stuff. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, for our generation and older, we still love going to the movies. You know what I mean? Who are they remaking these movies for? Like, who are they making the Cats movie for? <laughs> you know, coming up. Who are they doing this for? Because younger audiences don't go to the movies anymore. 
they'll sit at home and stream. I, I, I don't know the whole, I question the whole movie. I think they're just grasping at straws because I, I think they don't know how to make money anymore. The movie nope. industry. No, Nope. I mean, it's, it, it's sad, but like, yeah, with, with the, the streaming networks and everything. I mean, it seems like Hollywood with film is just like, let's just abandon t- telling good stories and things like that. So yeah, I I'm hoping that it changes. Um, and I'm hoping that they don't remake face off because that's just a, that's a terrible idea. So there you it's go. It's a terrible <laughs> idea. It'll come out, it'll make its budget back and then we'll forget it in a year. And then mm-hmm. do you think we're going to be like watching face off the 2022 version to our kids? No, we're not going to show that we're going to oh, show. No, we're going to show Caster Troy. Woo! I'm going to show Caster Troy and the director of The Notebook, uh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Um, all right, man. What do you got for your number three this week? All right, number three. Uh, I had a lot of uh, hip-hop-themed uh, uh, stuff this week because I had the Wu-Tang show. And then uh, one of my favorite series on Netflix uh, came back, Hip-Hop Evolution. Um, they had two seasons on there, and uh, the first season kind of goes through the birth of hip-hop in uh, New York City, and then we went all the way up to kind of um, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, kind of smooth jazz rap in the late 80s, early 90s, and then the third uh, version, third season came out uh, just recently. I went through it, and it went. It started with uh, Biggie and Tupac, East versus West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Chris, have you checked out the series at all? Have you checked out any of them? I ha- I saw the previous episodes, but not the new stuff. Yeah. 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 So like great show. And mm-hmm. I love the, the first two, the first two were great, great interviews. Um, great interviews with just like the pioneers of hip hop and just really s- cool interviews with people that you don't get interviews with. Um, and I thought it was just really, the guy really knows the stuff who's, um, I, I don't know how to say his name Shad. I think. Okay. Shad. Um, and, uh, he's just great. I think it's Chad and he's just great, um, interviewer and really into it. Great narration. Really. Um, if you know, you're like, let's say you're younger and you really don't know this stuff and you weren't around. I mean, we weren't around for the early eighties stuff. We were definitely around for the nineties. It tells, it paints a great picture of what was going on in the world. So let me tell you about this new season, not to spoil it. It's documentary, but it's still fascinating. Um, but the first two episodes are about Biggie and Tupac and the beginning of East versus West Coast, the Source Awards, the infamous Source Awards. You know, you, you ain't down with Death Row Records, that whole thing. Um, and all right, I'm going to do a hot take. All right. And this was what was running through my head. I personally, and I'm a giant rap, hip hop fan, whatever you call it, but I personally am not a Biggie and Tupac fan at all. Whoa. At all. And I just, this is so hot. This is a hot <laughs> I'm get shot or something. Oh my God. I'm going to get shot. And like, listen, I am a, a giant. I, I, I like Wu-Tang. I like Dr. Dre. I like Tribe Called Quest. I, I like, I like rap and hip hop. Oh, yeah. I love the Beastie Boys. I love everything. Like mm-hmm. I love everything rap and hip hop. And I love Run the Jewels, like new stuff. I, I love everything. I love everything from every kind of, you know, South. I love the far side. I love everything. And <laughs> and I don't know if he pointed me in this direction as well. Wow, this is going to be a hot take. I just think that 
both Biggie and Tupac oh. were kind of <laughs> are kind of caricatures of real rappers as a cash grab kind of. Oh, <laughs> now hear me out. <laughs> I'm not saying they weren't talented. You know, you see like the freestyle of Biggie Smalls. You see like the early stuff of Tupac. It's great, but I just, I kind of can see through the veneer a little. Okay. Like where when you're watching NWA and straight out of Compton and these guys are really from Compton and stuff, you're like, oh shit. You know what I mean? And you watch straight the, the movie straight out of Compton and they show their real life, how like easy E was a for reals drug dealer and stuff. And you know, all these like things and, this next generation coming up, I just kind of, I get that they were, you know, trying to tell their story and stuff, but I don't know. I, for some reason it doesn't click with me, both, both of them. And maybe it's just because, and maybe let me, let me put it like this. Maybe just because early on their stuff is great. And of course I know the songs and stuff, but I think the whole controversy, the East coast versus West coast thing, I think that was kind of blown up out of proportion. Like, like Puff Daddy coming out with these like R.I.P. Biggie Small songs that are like number one hit records. Like, oh, he would have he would have wanted me to do this, but I just feel like it's like making money off of your dead friend's life and stuff. I, I just feel funny about the whole thing, Chris. Oh, man. Am I am I going a little crazy here? Um, I don't think you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll put it right. Um, I will say this. I I think as when you think about Tupac and, and Biggie and, and really their more successful tracks, I think I think these are two guys that really relied on their producers to mm. create the music that we know and love. So with Tupac, I mean, obviously when he linked up with Dre and Death Row, that's when you saw him explode uh, and do some really amazing stuff. Same thing with Biggie, Biggie when he linked up with, with Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, puffy poop whatever um so i i think i think there's something to that um i also will always you know my conspiracy theory belief is that the east coast west coast thing was a uh studio kind of manufactured thing on purpose but then it got way out of hand uh <laughs> and maybe maybe that's maybe that's Maybe that's the way I want to put it too. Mm -hmm. You know, not that, not that them that that Biggie and Tupac they themselves were fake or anything like that. That their whole persona, image, and stuff like that. And he kind of points you in that direction. The the documentary filmmaker, um, because what's really interesting is you have the infamous source of words where Snoop's on stage and yelling at the audience and <laughs> shit's really going to go down. And in the next episode, they go through. Um, like the dirty South, they go through all the South uh, Atlanta rappers that come out of Atlanta and stuff like outcast. And everyone forgets that outcast won like new artist of the year during that source awards. Mm. And, uh, and it was like outrageous. They're getting booed for no re No one knows who they are. They're not East coast or West coast. They're like, Hey, we're from the South. We don't know what the hell you guys we're are talking Atlanta. about. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and the, it's almost like, this kind of antiquated East coast versus West coast things happening where the future outcast is up on stage. And it's really interesting. He almost points you in that direction that I'm saying, because I forgot that all these other 
groups are coming out of Atlanta. Like I forgot that crisscross was out of Atlanta. I forgot that TLC was out of Atlanta, like really big hits in the nineties, like oh, early nineties, yeah. mid nineties. And I was like, Oh shit, they're all Atlanta. Oh shit. They're out of Atlanta. It just kept going. And so that started like a whole rev- like CeeLo and, and all those guys kind of came out of Atlanta. Right. And I, I just feel like it pointed out just like how pointless the whole thing was. And maybe that's what he was trying to say is just how ridiculous and what a waste of talent it was to, for this stupid either marketing scheme or just this crazy rivalry that got too out of hand. It's really interesting, the documentary. So I, I'd love for people to kind of chime in on that because that's that's my personal take on the whole. I'm just not a fan of Biggie and Tupac in general. And then when he went down that road, I was like, oh, maybe that's the kind of maybe that's why I, I have those feelings, not because of their talent or their songs. It's because because I remember when they both were killed, how big they got after like posthumously mm-hmm. and how they really weren't that as big like there were artists on the radio and stuff like that and they had hits and uh, you know but they were kind of on the same level as all the yo mtv rap guys at the time and all of a sudden when they died it's like they sold a billion records and came out with (laughs) like more songs than they had when they were alive it was kind of silly i don't know chris did i make too much of a crazy hot take no i mean i think it's i think it's something to be said that when people what people forget with this whole east coast west coast thing you know, it was it was between two studios. I mean, it was Death Row versus Bad Boy, and you know, because you didn't hear Wu Tang get in the in the mix, you didn't hear about Jay Z getting into the mix, you didn't hear about um, you know like Ice Cube and um, you know all the guys like Cypress Hill, all these West Coast rappers like get on, start taking sides. It was really just Bad Boy versus Death Row Records, and so that's why I've always said you know maybe there was something to that, like this silent agreement, like. Let's let's start a fake feud, and then it just kind of got out of hand. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, when it comes to hip hop, I think one of the big things out there is like, you know, how are you making your records? Are you doing what RZA did or KRS One or you know some of these guys who are just literally just in their basement putting together a mix? Like it sounds like you're just literally rapping on a cassette tape, and then you spread or are you doing it in like this finely tuned studio type of piece, like with what, you know, Puff Daddy did. So, um, yeah, I think there, I think there's something to that. I, <laughs> I'm not going to go as hot as you did, but, um, <laughs> well, and then they, he went down. I mean, he does point out how ridiculous he pretty much, you know, Puff Daddy's on the thing getting interviewed and it, he, I mean, when we talk about Puff Daddy, you can't ignore Puff Daddy Mace and how ridiculous and pop and mainstream and, ridiculously I don't know it's so funny because I think talking about music and stuff it's talking about like selling out and mainstream is such an like antiquated kind of term from our generation and lower you know I mean it's such a punk rock kind of thing that kids and everyone doesn't even talk like that anymore if you have a hit record you have a hit record it's not it's kind of cool it's not like oh you sold out and joined a label like that's such an antiquated thing um but just like puffy and mace and big puffy jackets, it's just yeah, I'm waiting. I don't know. I, I like you said, maybe it's just because I I like I like when things are authentic. You know what I mean? Like uh, I love you know Kendrick Lamar. Like right now is a new artist and he's great because one album doesn't sound like the last album. Like right. you can have this free form jazz 
intro to one song that's just insane and it, it has real instruments and it has thundercat on bass and all this stuff but then you'll have like old school rapping over beat stuff that's just awesome it sounds great and so i like it when people can experiment it's not like a formula i hate when i feel like i'm trapped in a formula like all right if i put a this beat and b this cool rapper on this thing then c we sell the cd and d we make a million dollars i hate when i'm part of that kind of formulaic like we know what you will like and we know what you will buy kind of thing. And maybe that's why it, ha- it gets a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know. That, that was my little rant, <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> a great documentary. And like the whole like uh, South thing was amazing. I watched that today. That was so great. Outcast is great. Gr- great interview with big boy. It was just awesome. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. All right, man. Well, let me, let me move on. Um, so I got a little bit of a rant too now. Um, so I, I know I'm, I'm sure you're not probably familiar with the actress name. Her name's Colleen Ballinger, who is mm-hmm. now um, she was she used to do this YouTube thing called Miranda Sings, and she actually got like a YouTube uh, a Netflix series out of it. But uh, she's now starring in Broadway's Waitress right now um, and filling in there. Um, and she put an interesting tweet out the other day, uh, basically saying that she uh, was coming out of the stage door to sign autographs. Notice that one of the people asking for an autograph um did not come see the show like they typically the way you know that is you know um the people ask you to sign their playbills and that's how you know that they were in the show uh and this apparently this person just asked her to sign something else and colleen declined and instead said you know i want to sign the autographs of people that actually came to see the show and this woman in the uh, in the crowd then called her a bitch said oh you know you bitch, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it, it, when I read that tweet, um, I said to myself, you know, if, for those of you out there who aren't familiar with this stage door process, it is, it is truly unique that, you know, after a Broadway show is over, um, being able to meet the cast, you know, as they exit the theater. And, right. um, you know, there is a, there is a form of, of etiquette that's involved. You know, you have to, you know, you have to be polite. You have, I mean, you know, being uh, a jerk out there is, is not the way you, 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 you want to go with this stuff. So um, yeah, I, I, I just wanted your take on, on like audience etiquette when meeting people and, you know, we're, you know, we're, we've got Comic-Con coming up, so there's gonna be a lot of interaction there, but um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about people just, you know, being jerks when it comes to getting autographs and stuff like that? I think it sucks. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you always have to be courteous. You always have to be. And like you said, Chris, that is a different thing about theater than it is a movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can watch a movie a thousand times. You're never going to meet, you know, Kevin Smith or Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Just I'm trying to think of the movies I've watched a thousand times. Uh, so, um, but that is part of the thing. And I get it there. You know, I've been to many scare cons or comic con type things where it's relentless. You just meet the same person. You get asked the same questions. Um, I, I remember like a long time ago, I met, uh, one of the stars of phantasm. This is a deep cut. (laughs) And, you know, I was asking him like what, why he wasn't in the second one. His name is Michael Baldwin. He's like, and he kind of like laughed at the question. He's like, everyone always asked me that. And he like laughed with his friend. And then he just kind of was like a jerk. And I was like, all right, man, (laughs) he like kind of made fun of me. And I just walked away and I was like, dude, like, 
how many people know who you are at this thing? And I, like, I'm just such a deep cut nerd, but then you run into people like Joe Bob Briggs, love the guy. And he's like one of like my favorite kind of like TV hosts because he's like a nerd, like, like us, you know what I mean? He knows like crazy cult movies and stuff like that. So I had a great talk with him. He was awesome. I got an autograph and a book. It was just a blast. I had it's such an authentic experience with him. And I don't know. I, I think it's, it's more about, you know, personality types. And as you know, we've met like tons of actors and not all actors are outgoing, you know, um, extroverts that like people that like going out. Some of them like being on like a studio film set, they film and then they get off and then they go home and be quiet. So it's acting is a weird thing. And if you get the bug, you can be any kind of personality. So I think sometimes you get really tired of people where, most actors don't. So it, it, that's really weird, Chris. What do you think about that? About Yeah, I just think yeah. I just want to remind people out there like, you know, no place on your ticket does it say you are owed, you know, an audience with the star after the show. Like you're not owed an audience. Oh, that's true session. too. Right. And, you know, these people are doing this out, out of the kindness of their hearts. And, you know, really they're doing it from pressure from fans because if they didn't do it, then these people would say, well, you're just a diva, you, you know, you don't want to, you know, meet the public and stuff like that. So for Broadway actors, and, and I've talked to a lot of, you know, Broadway actor friends of mine and stuff like that, you know, for them, it's also equally a thrill as well, because, you know, the, you know, they can leave the stage door, walk into a CVS down the street, and no one's going to recognize who they are. But for that moment, I mean, they really get a, an opportunity to connect with people. So they like it sometimes just as much. But I mean, keep in mind, you are literally talking to people after they get out of work. Like, you know, they're, they are leaving, they're actually leaving the theater to go home. So again, I think, you know, especially with evening performances where it's like, you know, you're talking 11 o'clock at night and things like that. Just, just be thankful, just be appreciative. Um, and, and don't be a dick. And, you know, if, if they don't sign your autograph, cause you, you didn't come see the show and they'd rather, you know, sign autographs for people that, you know, bought a ticket and go see it, then just go buy a ticket and go see it. So, I mean, right. it's not that hard. And, you know, if you, if you really want Colleen Ballinger's autograph, then you would, you know, definitely make this, you know, go see the show. So, I don't know. I just, I, I think people need to understand how lucky they are that, you know, these people will do this um, and, uh, and not, 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 not be dicks about it. So, there you go. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's always about the approach. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's only been a couple times where I've actually been really starstruck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where I, like I was like fumbling over my words and I, I didn't know what to do. And <laughs> there's only been a couple times, but it's all about the approach. Like I, I mean, of course, it's nerve wracking. It's you know, and I, I could see where someone's adrenaline spiking and you know you're hyper vigilant in that moment, especially when you're reading someone that you are obsessed with or you're you know you have um, a great respect for. Um, so I, I can see both sides of the coin where someone in that hypervigilant kind of anxiety provoking mindset would say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And, you know, on the other side of the coin, you could see that an actor is just tired and wants to go home. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird interaction. And but at the same time, if as an actor, if you don't like that interaction, go to a movie then yeah, where you're sitting in a room somewhere and you're, it's very boring. <laughs> and you're sitting on like a movie set for like six hours. You go, all right, cut. Sounds good. And you go text no one because you've already texted all your friends and you're just sitting there like scrolling Facebook for another four hours or reading a book. 
<laughs> that's what movie making is all about. Like people always ask me, like, what's it like to film a movie? That's that's it. It's like hurry up and wait. It's like right. get dressed, get in makeup, and then you just stand there and look at each other and told told to be quiet because you know you're talking too loud or something. I don't know. So it's it's kind of part of the charm. I mean, theater is one of those things where you need the audience's reaction to make it theater. Like it's the reason why there's a fourth wall and there's a reason why every performance is different because every audience interaction is different. So I don't know, Chris, it's, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one, but you know what? Back in the day, like, fuck, I was going to say like a hundred years ago, but let's say uh, 15 years ago, you didn't have Facebook and social media as, as much as you do. And people, you know, couldn't go on rants and saying you're a dick and post stuff on the internet. So it's tough. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. What do you got for your number four this week? Number four, um, Chris, uh, back in the day, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I've collected quite a bit of, uh, movies okay. at my house. Yep. So VHS, DVDs, Blu-rays, the whole shebang bang Um, and, uh, this is off of bloody disgusting.com, uh, scream factory, which is a DVD distributor announces big trouble in little China collectors edition, Blu-ray deluxe set. Nice. Um, so this thing has. Um, let's see here. It's got an autograph. It's got a vinyl box set. It's got the Blu-ray. It's got posters. It's got a book like the making of it's out of control and, um, has a B side never before released recording of the alley war recorded by the trio in 2019, which is the John Carpenter trio. The guys that made the music for the original movie. It's out of control. Chris, the reason why I bring this up, I mean, this box set looks awesome. <laughs> if everyone could go online and just look at this goddamn box set. I mean, it has like green vinyl in it. It's just out of control. Um, Chris, what do you think about companies still releasing Blu-rays and DVDs? I'm all for it. Um, oh, okay. I mean, I would I would love for them to release VHS. Uh, no. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I, 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 I dig it. I think, again, I... I you know, when we talk about digital, we talk about um, streaming and, you know, I, iTunes and all that stuff. You know, it, that stuff is not, how do I put this? It's not um, as readily available as just going and getting a DVD or something. Um, you know, you have to have, uh, you know, a cell service. You have to have, you know, an iTunes contract. I mean, so there's just, there's certain levels there to get that kind of content. And I think... For companies to come out and still do box sets of DVDs with, you know, loads of special features, you know, I'm I'm all for it. I really am. Um, you know, it's you know some of the, some of my favorite, you know, things to watch are box sets of of DVDs of you know, um, like I you know I've said before, my Black Friday tradition is watching the Lord of the Rings extended editions. That's dope. I yeah, mean, that's, nice. You know, get up. I mean, I can't. I think I'm gonna include my son this year. So it's. You know, it's it's stuff like that where you know being able to sit down and literally pop in, um, you know that. And and I think until things like Amazon and and Netflix and all these other ways to to get content are, you know, I guess easier in a way. Um, you know, I I I I'm all for this. So yeah, more box sets. Also, that's another movie that they've been rumored to try to remake is Big Big Trouble in Little China. 
with the rock. Stop it. Yeah. Now, now you're just now you're just making this now, up. Now I'm just now I'm just trolling you. Because you made me say that you, <laughs> I made you say that Tom Brady is the goat, and now you're pissed at me. No, uh, we're gonna make make it remaking Big Trouble in Little China. That's gonna suck. Remaking it with the rock as the lead. That's that's the the development. Uh, so, listen, it's not about the hair. With Kurt Russell, but it's kind of about the hair with Kurt Russell. I mean, <laughs> that hair still to this day. I mean, did you see him in, in freaking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Oh, it still course. looks fabulous. He looks fa- the hair looks fabulous in uh, the Hateful Eight. Still, I mean, he's just dude's one that of the guy best is, looking men uh, of who's ever walked this earth. Period. <laughs> he still looks fabulous, <laughs> and I love how he's just being selective about what he does, and he's just doing t- QT movies which are freaking awesome. And he has like, I don't care if he's on the screen for five seconds or like hateful eight. He's in that movie, like almost the whole thing. And uh, I don't know, dude, like there's only one Jack Burton and you know, it's freaking Kurt Russell. So So. I I love that movie so much. And uh, I'm getting ready to show Deacon that one. That one's like, hot on the queue it's, that a, was it's like definitely one of those rock. movies where as a the first time i was watching it no going in knew nothing about the movie i think i, I think i saw it in college at, oh nice oh i saw it like weird, really early on yeah, that's great i think it was in college when i saw it and i just remember i think it was lee actually our friend lee who showed it to me and, oh yeah uh, i just remember because he he called me by one of the characters names i think it was like and i remember being offended by that and it said i think it's wang i think so yeah yeah i, be- I believe his name is wang and yeah I, said, I, I could see you being offended i said what the hell is that he's like from big trouble little china i was like what are you talking about he's like you've never seen that movie so um yeah and then i remember watching it and be like what is going on because it's the movie takes like a hard left like oh my god it, oh it's there's 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 that movie and from dust till dawn and yes. that's it there's only two movies that take like that hard turn you're like whoa what are we doing with this movie <laughs> there's vampires now wait a second there's lightning bolt raidens just floating through the air and hitting everyone guys explode like blow literally blowing up and exploding um for no reason for no reason <laughs> for no reason someone um, asked me that they were like why did that guy do that because it was cool looking <laughs> Because that was the thing to do in the 80s. Everybody did that. Just, just, everybody did just that get fun. really pissed, and then your face blows up like Weird Al, and then you just explode into cabbage. Uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. So, yeah, that movie is great. Again, another one that just doesn't need to be touched. No reason for Who's, it. Who are these people that are asking for these remakes? I don't know. It's terrible. I don't like those people. So, yeah. No how friends about of the mine. Rock? How about The Rock? Instead of buying IPs or whatever. How about this? How about he just hires screenwriters and says, hey, guys, can you make me a movie like Big Trouble in Little China? You know what I mean? Not Big Trouble in Little China, but uh, there's plenty of goofy things that you can make like that. That I mean, I I don't know. I don't get it, Chris. You know what it is? They're scared to make a new movie like that because that movie has still there's no movie almost like that. I I mentioned from Dustle Dawn, but that movie's a little more slick than that movie. That movie is so goofy right off the bat mm. and just insane that no filmmaker nowadays has the balls, the huevos, you know what I mean, the cojones as Alejandro Jodorowsky would say to freaking make a movie with such a hard turn <laughs> like that movie that it's so much safer to go, "Oh, there's this goofy movie from the 80s, we should remake it. And so everyone will be know what we're expecting. And then you can bring your kids to it and we'll make a lot of money. It's so I, I hate that. There's that. And you know what? There's that formulaic shit, just like fucking Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. Good stuff, man. Good I'm stuff. I'm gonna get shot. I'm gonna get shot. Yeah, this is this is like hot take left and right this week. I love it. Did uh, I say I live in central New York? I meant central Nebraska. <laughs> central Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it, man. Well, I got I got for my number four this week. Um, this might another maybe hot take. Um, so Pierce Brosnan, uh, the I would call him the second best Bond maybe of all time. Um, came out with an interview recently. Is that your hot take? No. I mean, maybe that it's is George Lazenby. George, George Lazenby, Lazenby is right. the correct answer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Another great documentary, by the way, for anybody who's never seen Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, that one is really good. <laughs> good one. That guy was wild, dude. He just, uh, did it, what, did he just roll onto the set, hit on Bricoli's like, wife, and got the part got or something the part. like that? Guys, hey. Get the job however you can I'm get not it. an actor, but I want to play Bond. I'm so, play Bond. so give me the role. Hire me. <laughs> Lady. Um, but speaking of speaking of that, anyway, so, sorry. Pierce, so Pierce Brosnan comes out and said that um, he would fully support uh, a female James Bond. And um, for those of you who don't know, with the new uh, Bond film that's coming out next spring, uh, which I – I can't remember the name of it. I think it's like I'll die tomorrow or tomorrow so, dies. So, something, something stupid. Yeah. Like that. But anyway, right, right, yeah. Um, apparently in the plot line, um, J- James Bond, Daniel Craig is like disavowed by, by MI6 and the title Ooh. of 007 is given to a woman in the movie, um, which has people being like, Oh my gosh. Like, so we're going to finally have a female 007. So, um, Wanted to get your thoughts on because we've seen Hollywood do this a couple of times where they're like, we have to do a female Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. You have to do a female Ocean's Eleven. We have to do, and I'm, I'm someone who is, you know, obviously, you know, I support women and and parity and you know, pay equity and all that stuff, um, especially getting you know lead roles and stuff like this. But at the same time, I would much rather. I think it sends a better statement to create kick-ass, amazing new original characters rather than just doing, let's do a female version of X. Um, right. So well, it's like, it's like, um, it's, it's like atomic blonde came out. Was that last year or two years yeah. ago? That was, yep. it's not the most perfect movie or anything like that, but it was a fun kind of action movie where Charlize just got to kick some ass. It was entertaining as fuck. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I just, I wanted your thoughts on that and you know, um, yeah, just like how you, how would you feel about it? A female James Bond type type movie of all the IPs that we discussed, like female ghostbusters and female oceans, oceans 11, 11 and stuff like that, where yeah. it's just so formulaic, you know what I mean? And there here's this, this is the theme. Like, you know, this is the theme of the podcast this week is just entering these formulas. Like it's like, who are the as ad wizards who came up with this one? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just like these guys are scheming in a little room and like, Oh, we'll get, you know, 30% of America to go see this. If we add females to oceans 11, Oh, let's do it. You know, like 70% of Rotten Tomatoes love oceans 11. So if we add females that knocks us down to 35, we get Sandra Bullock. It's like, they're just got this calculator out where, as we just discussed, crazy movies that are still kind of in our kind of psyche, like movies that shouldn't work, like <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China or The Warriors or 
face off like any movie that's like sitting there that's just so out there and crazy and there's no movie like it there's a reason why i have pictures of blue velvet on my wall that it's it's just a wild movie and you show people that movie they're like what what the hell are you showing me right now um when you enter a formula it just feels safe and bland and as we've talked about on this podcast those are the worst kind of movies not movies that are super cheesy not movies that are super good Movies that are just right in the middle that you'll forget about, like the Total Recall remake with Colin Farrell. <laughs> just, just terrible. I think it was Jessica Biel, too. Was that who was in that movie? Or? Yep. yep. Oh, Jessica Biel just... and Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale. That's it. Yeah, the same person. Directed by her husband, too. Kate Beckinsale's <laughs> husband directed the movie. So. Oh, that was good. That, yeah, that's great. Good, good choice. Um, <laughs> but I am all for, like you said, I'm all for females getting more leagues, but not being carbon copies of male roles that defeats right. the purpose. And I think that's you where, know what I mean. It, I th- yeah. We've talked yeah. about like, you know, Marvel being kind of this, this, you know, trailblazer when it comes to creating, you know, or I guess you could call them original characters, but, you know, truly, you know, putting forth the effort to tell original fresh stories. And you're definitely going to see that in phase four. Um, I think they just announced that they're going to do a she Hulk TV series, Excellent. which oh, I'm my like, God totally oh on board with so awesome character I'm, I'm, they're actually like rumored that they were gonna break her out in ragnarok and they were ready to do like red hulk and all this stuff i'm uh, glad they didn't yeah um, because that movie was perfect i can't wait to actually i'm actually speaking about it i i really need to rewatch that i only think i only watched it twice and that movie was great there's never but speaking of excuse not to watch that movie exactly yeah i know well speaking of ragnarok though you have valkyrie a yep. character in that movie who is a very original female protagonist where she is definitely different than Thor. She's definitely mm-hmm. different than like Hulk and any other. It's not like you're getting a, a a carbon copy of like Iron Man or a carbon copy of, oh, she's like the female Thor or she's like the female Iron Man. That's like, we don't want the female Batman or female Super. I don't want that. Like, it's almost like, like Captain Marvel. She was the female Superman. Mm-hmm. Like she's more powerful than anything. She swoops down, you know, she can, uh, you know, faster than a speeding bullet and yeah yeah she's the female superman i don't want a carbon copy of a male stereotypical character i want a very female specific character and valkyrie is one of those and, and she needs to be expanded upon and that she and the fact that she, they're making her lgbt is even showing the guts that marvel has and you know the i don't know not even guts but just the not scared to make new choices because like, like I was saying last week, I'm kind of been done to death with these origin stories. You know what I mean? This mm-hmm. Joker movie, it sounds like it's great. It's, it's getting rave reviews, six minutes standing ovations at Cannes film festival or wherever. And okay. But I've seen so many origin stories at this time and I've read so many that you really need to introduce a character like Valkyrie, like the way they did in Ragnarok. Right. You know, this, this chick that is just (laughs) tasing Thor to death (laughs) and locking him up with the Hulk. You're like, who is this woman that can control the Hulk and is friends with him and stuff. And you're like, who is this? And so it makes you curious as opposed to long time ago, you know, (laughs) two centuries ago, there was a fight, you know, you get a little backstory, but it's like 30 seconds. And so you want a little more, original female characters not like oh she's you know we're gonna remake big trouble in little china and she's the female jack burton or you're making face off oh that that's what's gonna happen chris <laughs> they're gonna have the female face off oh. again yeah 
not not. I with, just called it. Not with. I just called it. No, that, that's 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 what's just. I just called it. I'm yeah. not even. It's not even a joke. I'm really disappointed that I just. I just thought of it, and it's gonna be <laughs> just giving ideas. Though. But they're not gonna trust. Yeah, and so it's gonna be like wicked sexist, and they're just not gonna trust that. Oh, you know what? Audiences won't believe that. Um, there could be a female raging, raving lunatic that's bombing people. So, you know what we should do? We should have them trade faces, but they're both supermodels. And then they've walked the runway together. It's like something. It'd be like Miss Congeniality, but with faces being torn off. Oh I, 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 I'm writing the movie right now. And it's terrible. Right now and it's terrible. <laughs> oh, and, but you could see it being made. And like, uh, who would you cast? I would do. Yeah, Sandra Bullock and uh, Courtney uh, Love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be actually that's the hard left. Uh, no, I would do Sandra Bullock and who's the uh, Princess Diaries woman? Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but like one's a little younger, one's a little older, and then I they think, switch. I think you need someone who's batshit crazy in that movie. Um, oh. Oh, like like, like in real life, like in real life, like someone who's legitimately crazy. Um, mm. <laughs> we'll find, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll find it out. Oh man, I can't, I can't with that movie. So, anyway. I just but anyway, yes. So, yeah. So I just hate all formula shit. So anyway, I was going somewhere, but but I just started writing a movie in my head. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good stuff. All right, man. What's what's number five this week? Number five. Uh, actually, a quick one. <laughs> a quick one um it is um the final doctor sleep trailer oh, yeah. came out which is the sequel to the shining and this final sequel looks quite interesting or um the final trailer looks quite interesting you mcgregor um and and i don't know if you knew this it's actually based on the book that was the sequel to the shining that came out in 2014 i never read the sequel to the shining um so i had to look that up i was like oh is this just like a re- reboot no it's it's an actual sequel, and it's based on the book. Um, I did. Chris, did you check I out did. the, the final uh, trailer? It's, it's on my list of movies to yeah. see. I, I don't. This is gonna sound weird. I, I'll definitely. It's like one of those movies that, like, day one, it comes out on streaming or you know, digital. I'll see it. I don't know if I'm gonna go out to the theaters to see this movie yet. So does that does that make sense? Like, yeah. So like. Gotcha. Yeah, no, totally. It's like if, if the I word of mouth is like, one. oh yep. man, you gotta see this movie, it's creepy as hell, then sure, okay, I'll I'll go see it. But um yeah, it's just it's it's weird. Yeah, I'm weird like that. But yeah, no, I'm definitely intrigued. Um you know, the sh- again, you know, The Shining is one of those movies that uh, it's not a perfect film, but it's it's one of those movies that's like uh, I don't know, it's weird, it's like you don't mess with it, so to speak. <laughs> it's like there's some juju with that movie. Right. <laughs> it sticks right. with you. It, and, and it sticks like with you too. If yep. if you're not making a movie that's as um, engaging or as you know interesting, then like why even try? So I don't know. This movie's got me kind of feeling like we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, the the thing that kind of put me over the edge was that it was actually based on a real book. It's not just them kind of rehashing things and. The first trailer, I was like, oh, God, here they are messing with IP and like we've been talking on this pot. Man, this is the theme of the podcast. But to know that it's actually based on a real book, I'll probably read the book now. I read The Shining when I was really young. I'll read the book now and uh, check it out and see. I don't know. I'll I'll check it out. I'm kind of curious. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right. For my number five, also real quick, um, we've we've talked a lot about 
you know, what Disney is doing with their parks and all the new rides that they're bringing in and stuff like that. But we've never really talked about what Universal Studios is doing. And uh, I read this today that opening next summer, so the summer of 2020 at uh, Universal Studios Japan will be Super Nintendo Land. Uh, yeah. So they're actually... What? So this is, this is Why? online. Where'd you hear this? Um, on the internet. On, on the, the internet? What um, the hell? It is, it's official. It's opening up next summer in Japan. And then the plan is obviously to bring Super Nintendo Land to the United States and uh, in, in both LA and uh, Orlando. But some of the rides that we've been hearing, like they, they will, there will be a castle, which is, I guess, Princess Peach from Super Mario. So you're going to see her castle there. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the big rides that's been announced is a Mario Kart ride, which I can't even imagine what a Mario Kart ride could potentially look like. <laughs> oh my God. I just got tingles. <laughs> um, I got like chills. So Ben, I got Well, you've kind of almost already answered it for me. How excited are you for a Super Nintendo Land? Man, I it's 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 so funny. I didn't want something until you started talking about. It. Now I want nothing other than that. I'm gonna start saving money right now to take a <laughs> Japanese like plane ride over there. That is, that's the only details that you got so far. All right, so here's here's the ride. These all right, so these are rides. These are rumored rides that we're getting. We're getting a Donkey Kong Island. Awesome. Um, a Mario Kart ride, some sort of thing called Luigi's Mansion, which probably sounds like a haunted mansions yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is going to be a Bowser's airship ride. Oh, um, like in Mario Three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kirby's round ride. I have no idea. Oh, There's going to be Kirby. a Pokemon Adventures of Kirby. You ever played Kirby? There you go. Yeah. You ever no, played Kirby? Never did that. Never play Kirby. Oh, he's the little um, star guy. He walks around and he like eats things and he spits them out and becomes different things. Oh, it was, it was on the game. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. it was really good. So look, okay. So here's the, here's, I'm looking at the map. So the, the rumored map that I've got here is it looks like they're, they're basically breaking it into multiple lands within Super Nintendo land. So you've got the Super Mario World ride, which looks like it's a Mario Kart ride. You've got Zelda's Kingdom. Oh, Hyrule, Hyrule, Hyrule. I guess I. Ooh. So it's actually was, called Zelda's Kingdom. That was from my recesses. Uh, I think it's called Hyrule. <laughs> um, Donkey Kong's Island. So that that'll actually be an actual land that you can go awesome. to. Kirby's Kirby's Kids Playland. So I'm in for that. Um, and it looks like there's like a an entry thing called the Entry Portal, but it looks like there's going to be some like shows and restaurants in that entryway. So it's like a big warp zone. Um, <laughs> big warp zone. So, okay. So here's, I want to travel a, cool a pipe. Thing. I want to, I want to stand on a pipe and then it lowers and then I go into a restaurant. <laughs> All right. So let me, let me take it back. So they've actually got it broken down. So in Zelda kingdom, they've got something called the Deku, Deku tree, um, Hyrule castle plus attraction. Hyrule. I, no I was right. Hyrule. Yep. Uh, forest village and then there's going to be an interactive experience there um then there's going to be a mario kart ride luigi's mansion bowser's airship ride in donkey kong island they're going to have a monkey mine madness coaster kong jungle playground kirby's kid playland um pokemon training academy oh pokemon oh, oh okay that's gonna be huge and then there's uh rumors of a, a haunted castlevania experience that was my question. That was my number one question for you. 
So there you go. Where's Simon? Where's oh my god, Simon's quest? Oh my god! If you if you if you gave me like a haunted ride like Castlevania, I'm I'm there. Like that's that's like supreme for me, dude. Seriously, um, that might be on my bucket list to go to this place. Like if this place is legit and, and up and running, dude, I I'd be excited if they just had like a a, a hotel. And they just filled all the rooms with different games. You can go play all the games. I'd just be excited with that. Mm-hmm. But never mind a whole theme. Dude, this 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 park is made for me. It's awesome. <laughs> and I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing photos of uh, con- conceptual drawings and stuff like that. Um it looks it just looks preposterous. So in a good way. So um yeah, so that's set to open uh, summer of twenty twenty and then you know, you know, in a couple of years down the road in, in the United States. So there you go. My man. Oh my God. You know what? And speaking of, you know how we were talking about, uh, we've been talking about the new uh, star Wars galaxy's edge kind of thing at Disney and stuff. I actually know yeah. someone that went to that. Oh, uh, my what they, friend, what did they say, um, they did the solo, they did the Han solo ride. They did the millennium Falcon thing. And uh, they waited a long time to get into the park four hours. Ooh. to get into that section of the park and then another two hours in line or something like that. And then when he got on the millennium Falcon, it's random choice who gets to fly. And he said, it was just two little girls flying the thing. So it, it was like all messed up and I, <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather travel down a warp zone pipe and run around. I mean, for my money, if I'm going to wait four hours, if I'm going to wait four hours, I better be on Hoth. I better be at, like riding a Tauntaun and like shooting at an ATST right. on Hoth. Exactly. <laughs> I better be doing some shit. Like, I don't know. Like, that Mario thing sounds awesome and interactive. If there's just gaming stops, you know, like they have like the little water and uh, sunscreen stops in most uh, amusement parks. If they just had little gaming stops with Nintendo's hooked up, I- I'd be happy. <laughs> just take a pit stop and play some like Game Boy games. Awesome. That'd be awesome. So, needless to say, I think you and I will both be there at some point. So can't wait for that, man. Dude, that is great reporting. That is Good fabulous stuff. reporting on your part. Hi, man. Man, that made my week. <laughs> excellent. 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 Dude, let's go YouTube now. Let's go. Let's do let's it. Let's go down the rapids. Uh, what do you got for me this week? All right, dude. Staying on the hip hop theme. I got a couple of hip hop ones. Um, so Vanity Fair um, has these have these great video series where people break down their careers. Um this one's called Wu Tang's RZA breaks down 10 Kung Fu films. He sampled and he loved as like a child. And so he goes through all the Shaw brothers movies. He goes through the uh, flying guillotine movies and all these movies that you can actually hear them sample on um, enter 36 chambers and all the solo Wu Tang albums. Uh, More specifically, uh, Jizza liquid swords. He talks about Shogun assassin. Um, all, AKA, I think it's called like Wolf and the Cub or something like that. Mm. Um, so like that whole album is that movie. Um, so if you know that whole album, like like the music and the the words from it are just and the samples from it are awesome. So that was really cool because that was one of the things that got me into the Wu Tang Clan because I just liked shitty kung fu movies to start with, <laughs> without them being sampled in rap, and then all of a sudden this rap group came out like and they're just making references to, you know the mystery of chess boxing and all these things. Um, And then uh, there's an interview seven minutes long on Jimmy Kimmel with uh, method man. And he talks about working at the statue of Liberty, just a great interview. Just really funny. Um, Check that out. 
And then um, going back to – so those are my two hip-hop ones. And then going back to uh, Thursday Night Football, the Bears and the Packers played. And they did a great promo with um, Bill Swirtsky's super fans. <laughs> the Bears. I saw that. And, yep. Oh, my God. It was so great. Brett Favre, George Went, and um, – Oh my God! Who's who's uh, who's triumphed the insult? Oh, all? Robert uh, uh, Robert Smigel. Robert Smigel. They're all there. So funny. I love how they made a calendar of all Brett Favre's interceptions, and then he throws he throws the little Alexa Mary Beth or whatever, and and the eagle catches. He goes, Ah, there's another interception. So funny. Great bit. <laughs> I don't know. I just it was just great stuff. That's on YouTube forever. I'm so happy that's on YouTube forever. It was yeah, great. I saw that. Uh, that, that, might yeah, that might be a tradition. Yeah, that might be a tradition to just watch that before every season. It was awesome. Oh, that um, was great. Chris, what you got for me, Ben? I only got one. Um, but Ben, if you have an hour um of your day to yes. commit to this, it is a must watch. Um so uh, uncovered, uh, I, I just found it by accident. Um, there is a 1981 documentary about the public theater's production of Taming of the Shrew, uh, starring Meryl Streep and Raul Julia. And it's this amazing, like, half backstage interview, half like seeing clips from the show, um, where you're watching like 1981 Meryl Streep and Raul Julia, um, two like actors really like. You know, I mean, Meryl Streep was a name by then because she had done, I think she had done like Deer Hunter and Kramer versus Kramer. So right. She was a name. And same thing with Raul Julia. But just watching these like titans, these icons, um, really at the beginning or, you know, of their careers as as they're coming up, um, it, it's it's a breathtaking like hour just to watch. And, you know, they're talking about acting, they're talking about rehearsing, they're talking about character development and stuff like that. So it just is a great, great thing to watch. It's called Kiss Me Petruchio. Uh, it's a you know like I said it's about the kiss me uh, about taming of the shrew, taming the shrew. on YouTube yeah. um, huh. and it kind of coincides because Raul Julia his his name is going to become like a blot this year because it's the twenty I believe it's his twenty fifth anniversary of his death because um, he died in nineteen ninety four um, and um, you know very sad he was he was you know by far one of my favorite actors I mean I grew up with him and. You know, the Adams family, and then like you know, as I got older, I got to see a lot of his other Street Fighter, Street freaking Street Fighter, um, Romero. Uh, you're like, gonna say Street Fighter, right? Street Fighter, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I mean, this guy, this guy was awesome, and you know, it's a shame that he he died, you know, relatively young, and uh, you know that this generation has no idea who probably who probably is. But, right. Um, yeah, he was, know. he was definitely one. He could definitely fly under the radar. And I forget where, how I heard this or where I saw this, but it was, it was about the making of street fighter. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> and they just said that was his last movie and he was on the way out and he was very sick, but he said he, they gave, he gave his 110 on the set. Like, Oh, he's, he's amazing. It's a terrible movie, but he is amazing yeah. one of my favorite lines of dialogue ever in any movie whatsoever was he says to this one guy he's like that day that we came in and killed everybody might have been the the worst day in your life or the most memorable day in your life but for me it was a tuesday <laughs> was like, <laughs> like his delivery is perfect and it's just here's a guy who is puerto rican but yet 
and who spoke with a you know obviously a Puerto Rican dialect, but on a dime could drop and go straight into like English British. Um, just an incredible actor. And uh, if for anybody listening who doesn't know who Raul Julia is, just look at his IMDb. Go watch some of his stuff because it's it's freaking great. Like yeah. especially his you know his more well known stuff like Romero and um, the Adams Family. I mean he's great in that stuff. So. Yeah, definitely check it out. But here's here's a guy that, and there's a documentary that's coming out on PBS about him. Um, I believe it's coming out this fall, so that's that'll be. I can't wait to watch that too. So. And speaking yeah. of speaking of PBS, uh, he's in one of my favorite cheesy movies of all time. It's called Get here. Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. You ever seen that? No. Uh, it's a Mystery Science Theater three thousand. It's on YouTube, the full thing, and uh, it's one of my favorite Mystery Science Theater three thousands. It's it's something to behold. I don't want to give it a spoiler. There's, it's a sci-fi movie, but there's a lot of Casablanca in it. Nice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and Raul Julia me. is just doing something. I don't know what he's doing in this movie. So, like, he, yeah, he's all over the place. But yeah, he definitely passed away too soon, and you know he will be missed. So, 25th anniversary. That's crazy. Crazy. Crazy that we lost in there. So good stuff, man, this week. Honestly, this was a this was a hot take full episode, but I'm digging it. Yeah, between uh Mandalorian Bill Burr coming back for uh guest appearances on the the pod, uh, between that and just everything that becomes a formulaic piece of crap to be known as Tupac Shakur. Uh <laughs> good lord. Yeah, might get shot. Looking- Making making head making headlines. I love it, man. Um, <laughs> anything anything you want to plug? Anything going on before we sign off? Uh, no, not really. Just uh, dude, getting ready for New York Comic Con. I think uh, I don't know if we announced this on the air, but Sam Raimi will be hosting a panel out there talking about one of his newer projects. But we will come loaded with some Evil Dead questions and some follow up stuff about what's the future of if any, with Bruce Campbell and the Evil Dead franchise. So he better be ready for my geeky questions. Heck yeah. And then, um, oh, and then I just got a press release today that AEW, the new wrestling startup, uh, is going to be doing something at Comic-Con. No word yet, but, uh, you know, for for wrestling fans, there's going to be wrestling. There might be some professional wrestling going on at uh comic-con this we year, might have to watch that that sounds awesome a little crazy so um all right folks we well, can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts and the onstage blog podcast network where right now we have just about a dozen podcasts on there we actually just we're starting to do these awesome things now ben i'm gonna i'm gonna make an offer to you my friend yeah um we're we're gonna start getting into these uh rewatch podcasts where uh, we kind of go back and, and rewatch either you know films, a franchise, or you know maybe a TV series or something like that, and just kind of podcast our thoughts about each installment or episode. And uh, right now we're doing one for the TV show Supernatural. We are actually about to premiere another one for the TV sitcom Wings back in the day, nineteen ninety two Wings. Oh yeah, bringing that one back. Wow. Um, given given your your various tastes and whatnot, you are you have carte blanche to do anything you want uh are you guys doing you, are you guys doing uh tv shows t- tv shows movie franchises albums i mean we, i want to do it all so all right um all right. yeah you know i'm gonna give you carte blanche my friends so there you go but yeah well, let so me know let me know out. when uh let me know when you guys are doing the uh mr show rewatchables oh man that'd be great <laughs> That's the, because there you go let's talk about the velveteen touch of a dandy fop <laughs> 
<laughs> what was that roller coaster? The Devastator? The, the, oh, yeah, the ride. The Devastator. <laughs> 90 degree turns and two full minutes submerged underwater. The Devastator. It's soul shattering. Oh, man. My brother, he's dead. He drowned. Needless to say, it's been a soul shattering experience. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's a great show. All right. I, anyway, I ain't going anywhere because of no roller coaster. <laughs> I love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, folks. We'll see you next week here on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. <laughs> uh,